Hi, and welcome to the Defenseless Moments Podcast. I'm Hunter Visser, and today I'm going to be speaking with Larry Wilson about Chapter 6 of his new book, Defenseless Moments, A Different Perspective on Serious Injuries. Chapter 6 is titled, The State-to-Air Risk Pattern and the Concept of Self-Triggering. And in today's episode, Larry's going to take us back to the beginning when he figured out the pattern that eventually became Safe Start. Now remember, the book's available on Amazon, and the articles are available on the Paradigm Shift landing page. And if you haven't had a chance to read the chapter or read the article, make sure you do so before listening to this episode, because it's going to make it a lot more meaningful. A link to both the book and the article is available in the episode notes. So, Larry, last time you said the concept of self-triggering combined with some effort to improve eyes on task will reduce your risk dramatically or reduce uh, like personal risk dramatically. Can you summarize the steps or paradigm shifts to get there? Um, yeah, I mean, at the that was sort of where I ended last time, saying there was tremendous leverage in terms of improving your your habits with eyes on task, and then if you combine that with self triggering. So let's just sort of go back to the very beginning. The first one was hazards versus hazardous energy which includes kinetic energy, which means that if people are moving, eyes on task and mind on task become primary, not secondary. You don't see the stop sign, the red light, or the pedestrian. It doesn't matter how good your brakes are. Your hands or your feet aren't moving. So that eyes on task and mind on task or primary when you were moving was sort of one of the first key things. Then we went through the self area of the three sources of unexpected being 97 to 99%. And then we talked about the most dangerous things, not equaling the worst injuries in the chapter on the third dimension of risk assessment. And It occurred to me that if you're looking at a two-dimensional piece of paper and you're thinking about components, which is where, you know, a lot of the risk assessment, safety engineering, uh, you know, began years and years ago, those are the only, if you will, driving forces, probability, severity, probability of occurrence. So, when you add the human factor to it, obviously, you've got a tremendous willingness not to get hurt, seriously maimed or killed. So that is, if you will, the, the third dimension is that drive or that motivational force that we all have for self-preservation. And just to, also just to, you know, to minimize the pain, obviously, it's, it's painful. But, you know, the metal obviously doesn't care if it breaks. Um, and, and we do, right? So it, it all sort of makes sense that that risk matrix started from, from two dimensions. We then go to, okay, you know, we know there's something missing. It isn't what's just intuitive. I talked already about the importance of eyes and mind on task being primary and typically both critical errors being involved in serious injuries because you get you get to talk to the people it's it's, it's difficult with the fatalities obviously you can only kind of guess in terms of summarizing statistics yeah. and doing regression analysis but if you're just talking to the people who survived the serious injuries it, 
it goes from being involved to what we talked about last time, which is, no, both had to happen at the same time because otherwise we'd get a reflex and then most likely it wouldn't happen at all. Or it wouldn't be nearly as bad. Or ne- Yeah, or nearly as bad, like the, the deflection, the glancing blow, uh, another whew, close, you know, close call, you know, incredible sort of, you know, bar story, if you will, or something yeah. like that, or at the ski chalet. But, you know, again, um, the reflex saving, you know, saving your bacon, saving your butt, however you wanted to put it. Um, and so... If you then go back and look through anybody's uh, safety management um, binder, typically their multi-elemented safety management system, and you start saying, okay, so talk to me about, you know, when you trained your folks about the importance of reflexes in terms of serious injuries and fatalities. I mean, it won't be anywhere. It won't be anywhere in anybody's safety management system. And yet, as, as you said, how, how many times have you been the beneficiary of your own reflexes? Yeah. Like, like not, not hundreds, thousands, thousands, right? And, you know, so how much different do you think you are than anybody else that drives a car in this world? Not many. Not likely. Not much. Yeah, probably not, right? So, I mean, for all of those people out there who work in safety management, who have been the beneficiary of their own reflexes thousands and thousands of times. It it is a bit conspicuous in its absence. Yeah. And so then we can go from that, those two critical errors having to be involved. We talked about that, but what we really didn't do then is talk about the next two critical errors, the line of fire and the balanced traction or grip. So, Larry, why are those four critical errors so important? Well, the reason those four critical errors are so important is because those are the only four critical errors that are involved in 97 to 99% of the injuries in the incidents anywhere, if you will, the ones in the self area, right? So now the first two, setting up the second two, which are the line of fire and the balance traction or grip, and then what comes before that. And I went through this with Gary in the book Inside Out, so I won't, I won't go through the whole, you know, how I figured out each state, but the rushing, frustration, fatigue, and complacency, or a combination of those states causing eyes and or mind not on task, which then leads to a loss of balance, traction, or grip, or somebody being in or moving into the line of fire, right? So one or more of the four states causing one or more of the first two critical errors usually sets up one or more of the second two critical errors. We talked already about complacency leading to mind not on task, and that's a passive state. But rushing, frustration, and fatigue are states you can actually feel in the moment, or you can recognize. Like if you're going to go faster than you're used to going, you can make a con- you have to make a conscious effort. Otherwise, you'll go at the pace you normally drive or the pace you normally walk. 
Rushing is actually quite easy to recognize because you have to make a conscious effort to do it. Frustration is very easy to recognize, and fatigue is easy to recognize as well. But if it's only a little bit of frustration, doesn't seem like much because that happens to everybody day in and day out, and a little bit of fatigue isn't that much either for people to notice, and being in a little bit of a rush, that happens quite a bit to a lot of people too, right? So it's not that easy to recognize the state if it isn't really intense. But you can certainly feel the state in the moment, which means that if you quickly stop and think about those four critical errors, eyes, mind, line of fire, bounce, traction, crimp, normally stopping and thinking, looking around for a second, is enough to keep you from making one of those critical errors. Well, and it's kind of funny, because when you first start learning this, or at least in my experience, it does sound like it will be easy. Like intuitively, it makes sense. Like, yeah, rushing, you're going to make more mistakes. You're more likely to get hurt. Same with fatigue and frustration. So it seems intuitive, but I guess that's why we need training sessions, right? It seems very easy. It seems easy. Certainly, like you said, it's easy enough to understand. And it also makes sense to people. Like nobody's, nobody's fighting it. But what maybe isn't as easy to understand is that your conscious mind is likely going to be thinking about why you're rushing, who or what is making you frustrated, or when you are going to get some rest. But your conscious mind also just unfortunately isn't fast enough. In other words, you know, we need to be able to self-trigger fast enough to prevent the error and the incident or the injury, right? So if you're going 100 kilometers an hour, you don't have all day for this is what I'm getting at. So, you're probably late. You don't well, have time for a risk assessment at 100. Well, well, no. <laughs> well, no, but the, the, the I, I mean, we'd like this quick, preferably, I mean, the quickest we'll get it is reflex speed. So if I asked you what's three times four? 12. Exactly. And you don't have to think about it. I, probably nobody's asked you what three times four is for years and years. But because there was a lot of repetition that was sort of burned into your subconscious, now you don't need to think. Like, if I, what's 13 times 14? Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I know. It's 13, 169, 172, I mean, yes, we can all do it. But by then, you're in a car crash or you're falling down, right? So, <laughs> Or you're tired. Well, only, yeah, only your, yeah, I didn't like math in the first place. So, uh, only your subconscious mind is fast enough, like to give your reflex speed, right? So we, we actually, that's when people say, why do we have to go to the training sessions? It's because you, you really need the repetition, just like as if you were, uh, you know, serving a ball in tennis, foul shot in basketball or jump shot in basketball, uh, hitting a golf ball, whatever it is, you know, you need to practice grooving that sort of neural pathway and the same thing sort of happens in your brain only in this case we're kind of regrooving it and reprogramming it so that as soon as you sense that you're in a rush you're frustrated or tired it's like when you hear the danger music in the movie like you know something bad you don't know what is going to happen but something's coming but you know something's coming and so that's the sense you get and then you just have to think eyes mind line of fire mounts traction grips only four things very efficient and that is if you will sort of the the first step or, or part one of self-triggering, but the other part, obviously, is to recognize that if you're rushing, 
slow down. If you're frustrated, calm down. If you're fatigued, get some rest. I mean, maybe your first step, I should say, is just, you know, eliminate the state or minimize the state. Yeah. But the reality of life is you can't always slow down. You can't always get some rest in the moment. And normally there are better ways to get somebody to calm down than to tell them to calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we've all experienced that before. (laughs) Exactly. So how did you figure this all out? I I think I asked you this a little while back and you mentioned to me that you were on the phone call with, or you were on a phone call with Lara at the time. Yeah. Well, because I came from traditional behavior-based safety where you would go through, you know, a few years of injury incident reports at the company to come up with a checklist of critical behaviors. As I discovered the states and the errors, and, and some of them I knew from behavior-based safety, like line of fire, um, I didn't have them all in, in any kind of order other than the order with which I discovered them in, which is over a period of years. And again, it was all an inside out, so I don't want to... Uh, necessarily you know take anything away from the book that gary and i wrote um and i don't really have time to go through the whole how i figured out each state and each year and put it together but i had a list of eight things i had the self area and i was asking hundreds and hundreds of people if they could just please tell i know it's eight things can you tell me a time you've been hurt where one of these eight things wasn't a factor. And I, I mean, I'm not sure if I'll get it exactly right, but I think it was like, you know, eyes not on task, line of fire, um, fatigue, balance, traction, grip. And I was talking with Lara on the phone. And I was saying, do you think it's kind of cool that, you know, all these places we're going to, Lara, you know, in the oil patch, nobody can tell me an exception to these eight things in the self area. And she said, well, yeah, it's kind of cool, Larry, but I don't know what you're going to do with it exactly. And I said, yeah, I know. And while I was talking to her on the phone, for whatever reason, just kind of doodling away, I rewrote the list and I wrote the states on the left and I wrote the errors on the right. And then I just drew an arrow in the middle between them while I was talking to her. And then I paused and I went, oh my God. And Lara said, what? And I said, Lara, I think I got it right here. She said, what? I said, the whole thing. I think I figured it out. Like 99% of all the injuries anywhere, right here. And she said, well, that's, uh, now you've definitely got to do something with it. <laughs> and, so, uh, and, and so we did. But that... The key really is, in, in order to figure out self-triggering, the key was to figure out that pattern. And in order to be able to figure out that pattern, you had to be able to isolate the self-area. And you also had to be able to figure out that there was something wrong with this intuitive model about probability of severity, probability of occurrence, that there was a third dimension that was missing in, in all of this here, right? Because otherwise, like I said, things just unfortunately weren't just weren't adding, just weren't adding up. Well, it's funny to look back at it that way too, because when I think about it, it was just explained to me with this pattern that was very intuitive and simple and easy to understand, but obviously it would have taken you years to figure this out, asking all those people. So speaking of self-triggering and sort of reflecting back, can you remember the first time that you actually did self-trigger? Yeah, it was, um, 
Uh, I'm not sure if I can give you the give you the exact year, but I was uh, I was living in uh, I was living in Belleville on Cedar Street at the time. So uh, that certainly that that certainly does define it before uh, the turn of the century for sure. Now, probably I don't know somewhere around 19, uh, 1994, 1995, and I was uh, I was coming out of the apartment. It was just starting winter. I couldn't see the little sheen of ice that was on the concrete steps, only about four steps down to the driveway. My arms were full of binders. And uh, there's a mat outside the door. I'm in a rush to get to a meeting. There's a client at the office. And just before that left foot hit the sheen of ice, I self-triggered, tested, and it was just like, just like glass. I mean, so slippery. And I looked at sort of where I would have likely hit elbow, shoulder, head on the iron railing. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I mean, maybe broke a bone. It really would have hurt, though. I, that's the part I go, you could say what you want. That really would have hurt. I, maybe you wouldn't have broken anything, but that really would have hurt. And I remember kind of gingerly going down the steps and getting into my uh yeah my uh, my babe magnet minivan that I had at the time thinking yeah this actually works am i ever glad that this works that really would have hurt and i was like wow how very cool i remember starting to work on the you know starting to work on uh, uh on the premises and you know pushing pushing this out to people at crew talks um cash you know me in a flip chart wandering around sawmill after sawmill northern bc and alberta going from like the maintenance shop to the production break room in the sawmill over to the planer mill out to the wood room you know talking to the guys there just with the flip chart the four states the four airs the self area Nobody could tell me an exception. Started offering them money, and uh, you know, once I had once I had that pattern, like I said, the the next part of just figuring out these states you could figure you could trigger on that that was um, you know that was by nineteen nineteen ninety nineteen ninety six. I had that, and you know, pitched the course and. Finally got it all made, launched in October 1998. Wow. Yeah, what's well, funny, thinking of minivans, like the the first time I can remember self-triggering was um, I was probably 18 years old. I was moving out to Whistler for the summer, actually, like here where we are recording this, to go work for a ski summer camp. And uh, m- my brothers and I, we'd all grown out of, and our family had grown out of the minivan. So we had an extra car and I was borrowing it for the summer. Took the back seats out and I built a bed because I was going to camp for the summer in this van. And I was driving down this this back road to get to Whistler because it's a little bit closer from where I live. But you go for about an hour and a half without service. It's super windy. I've been driving for about four hours, started to get really tired. Um, and I, I recognized the fatigue and my eyes were starting to droop. And I figured, you know what? I'm in no rush to get there. I've also set up this minivan to camp in for the summer. I might as well test out the bed in the back. So I pulled over and turned off the car, climbed into the back, set an alarm on my phone for 
20 minutes. I was just going to take a short nap and I woke up an hour and a half later. My alarm hadn't gone off. So I I looked at what had happened and I was so tired. I didn't catch the AM PM on the the alarm clock. Oh no, no. The old AM PM performance error. The classic. Yeah. And so I was, I was a little bit bummed because I was supposed to meet some friends. I wasn't super late for anything, but what happened was I climbed into the front seat to turn on the car and I hadn't turned off the lights, so I turn over the key, and I get that, you know, the classic clicking sound of a dead battery. I didn't have any jumper cables. There's no cell service, so I couldn't call, like, AAA. Oh, no. Um, so I'm standing there on the side of the highway for about 15 minutes waiting for a car to go by, and eventually flagged down somebody at the rental car. Luckily, the rental car had cables in it. We spent about five minutes looking for the battery. The guy didn't speak very good English, and I didn't speak whatever language he spoke, so we finally figured it out, and I got to Whistler. But I remember thinking to myself that if I was tired enough to screw up sending an alarm, I'm not sure how well I would have made it going down the big hill with all the windy switchbacks and if I would have made it to Whistler. Yeah, and really, you know, when I listen to that story, almost the whole, you know, and how did we come to safe start performance in terms of taking these concepts and extending them to performance errors? But, you know, certainly we'll talk much more about extending these concepts into all of the serious performance errors as well, like the losing your passport and the losing your phone. We're making jokes about it, but I can assure you the person who has just lost their passport halfway around the world is not looking like they're at a stand-up comedy club. They are looking much more like they have just received some very, very bad news and they don't quite know what to do about it, like sort of shell-shocked. Anyhow, I don't want to go on any further because I certainly don't want that to happen to me and it's such a bad thing that I'm almost superstitious about it. Okay, so like you said, we're going to talk a little bit more about the performance side, performance errors, improving production, efficiency, quality, all that kind of stuff. Do you have anything more you want to mention on this podcast about self-triggering? Well, first of all, it's not as easy. It's not as easy as it sounds. So, I, I just like to maybe uh, knowing that Rush and Kevin, Kevin Cobb said, and this is probably the the best quote about self-triggering. Knowing that rushing is a risk isn't much of a trick. Knowing that rushing is a risk when you're in a rush, that's a heck of a trick. So, um, it, there are there is a need for the training sessions. Okay, yeah. you do have to groove those neural pathways. Being able to understand self-triggering doesn't mean you can do it in the moment. And I can also tell you. <laughs> Painfully, that a split second too late self-triggering is still a split second too late, and it doesn't matter. You'll still experience the exact amount of pain, even though you were just so close. And the other thing I'd like to say about uh, self-triggering is that there is, I mean, you know, we developed a technique, like I said, you know, uh, over 20 years ago, but there is now neuroscience to actually back it up. Yes. So Larry, we'll talk about neuroscience in the next podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We hope you come back next time to listen to Larry talk about chapter seven, the neuroscience behind the critical error reduction techniques. Thanks again. That brings us to the end of our episode today. And thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. Now remember the book is available on Amazon as well as on the paradigm shift website and links to both of those are in the episode notes below. Thanks so much for listening.